you're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. Good morning. Talking about communion this morning, and uh, that clip is uh, paints, I think, the essence of what communion is supposed to be for us. Um, he says, you, you know a lot about art, and you can give me the skinny on every art book that ever, has ever been written, but you've never experienced what it's like to be and look up at the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and you've never smelled what, it, what it's like in there. Um, and I, I want to I connect our minds around that idea before we get to the heart of, of communion. I want to show you guys a, a couple of pictures as well. Cooper, fire that, that first picture up there. This is, uh, these are some places that I want to be one day before I die. This, uh, if you guys recognize that, that sign says Omaha Beach. That's um, uh, the Normandy Beach during the World War II invasion D-Day. It happened there on that beach. Um, like I've, I've read a lot about D-Day. I've, I've watched a lot of films about D-Day. And like my, my heart... Like, in my mind, I want to be there. I, I want to I experience what it's like to be on that beach. And it's, so we can, like, look at this picture. We can see movies like Saving Private Ryan or uh, something like Band of Brothers or something that, that begins to, some art that kind of connects us with what happened there and, like, important historical events that happened there. But, but I want to actually be there, right? You follow me? Uh, hit, hit the next one. Um, the next one, this is, do you, anybody know what this is, by the way? Just off the top of your head? What? Somebody said something. Don't, yes, that's right. It's, it's Wittenberg. It's where uh, Luther nailed the 95 Theses against that door. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Martin Luther fan, and I think he's, he's done a lot for the history of the church. And I've, I've read about him. I've seen movies about him and, and all the, and I'm really like, I'm deeply connected, like invested in actually being there and, and like walking through those doors. Um, and I, I, like, I want to do that one day. Um, fire the, the next one up. You guys better know what this one is. Do you guys know what that is? Here's a hint. It's a garden, a garden of Gethsemane. Uh, this is where Christ prayed before he died, the night before he died. And we, we can go there today. Like you can look at this picture and, and think about the agony that Jesus was in when he prayed. Remember he said, I'm, I'm overcome and, and I'm full of anguish. And like he literally sweat blood and like there's this intensity to Jesus that's there. And, and to actually be in the place where that took place, I think would, would connect our minds and our hearts to that right? Um, fire the, the next one up. This is the last one. Uh, this is uh, 
Golgotha, the hill called the skull. This is where Jesus, where that fence is up there, is likely where the cross was placed into the ground where Christ died. Um, and I can picture Mary, mother of Jesus, and, and John, and, and uh, Mary Magdalene at, at the feet of the cross, and, and the soldiers at, at, like on that hillside. And like you can see that, that picture and kind of begin to like emotionally connect with all of these things that, that were there. But to actually stand there would be like just incredible. To, it, it's, it's a little bit more, a lot more to, to stand on those places than it is to just to see pictures. And I think this idea of the movie clip and, and seeing all these different, uh, th- these four places that like have captured my heart and my imagination and make me want to like create art when I see these things kind of gets to the heart, like begins to scratch the surface of what communion is doing. We're, we're talking about communion. We've like later on today, we've got the, 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 the elements of communion here and, and we're going to partake of it. And it's the, the hope as, as we process through what Paul's written that Brooklyn just read, as we connect with the heart of that, I want us to, to have these things in mind, these images. Maybe even for you, think of a place in the world that, that you've never been but has really captured your heart um, and captured your, your, like, your imagination and, and where you want to be. And, and think about how cool it would be to be in these places and, and how, how deep, more deeply you would connect with these events that happen in those places. And that's the idea behind communion. When Jesus gave us the rite of communion, he did it so that we could connect in, in a deep way. I want to read to you the, the definition of, of communion. Uh, it means to interchange thoughts or feelings with intensity and intimacy. To interchange thoughts and feelings with intensity and, and intimacy. So, like, let's, let's think about that word interchange like Jesus, when we take communion, we are communing with Christ. Do we, like, think about that. We're interchanging feelings of in, intensity and intimacy. And so as we partake of communion, we interchange with Christ. Um, and I hope that, that we can begin to, to scratch the surface of all that communion can be. And, and honestly, this has been my prayer this week for me and for you is that when we take communion at the end of the service today, that it would be more enlightening and more profound than it's ever been for any of us when we take communion. Um, so let's, let's pray and ask God to, to do that and dig into this scripture. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity that we have today to worship your son. God, I pray you would connect our hearts to the beauty and the tragedy of your son being broken and bleeding and dying. God, would you connect our hearts with the beauty and the tragedy of that? God, would you show us hope in the midst of anguish? And Father, would we be able to to commune with that, Father? Would we experience you as we as we worship as we consider and as we 
stand and even take communion today, Father. I, I pray that you would affect us in ways that we have never been affected, in deeper ways that we have never been affected. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. Um, I want to talk uh, this morning really about three things um, about communion. When we take communion, first we worship. Um, to worship is to treasure Jesus for all that he is and all that he offers. Um, and I think there's probably no greater opportunity for us to connect with all that he is and all that he has done than in communion. John Piper says this about worship in regard to communion. The essence of worship is the inner experience of treasuring the beauty and worth of God. Consider that. The essence of worship is the inner experience of treasuring the, the true beauty and worth of God. And the outward forms of worship are acts that show how much we treasure the beauty and worth of God. Um, so I think there, I want to talk about three things uh, inside of this idea that, that worship does for us. First, um, as we take of communion, we worship Christ because it exclaims the greatness of Jesus. Communion exclaims the greatness of Jesus. Um, you see, like, as, like, there's just little pieces of bread and, and juice and wine, and we, we consider that a, a broken Jesus. Like, I showed you the picture of, of Golgotha, of the hill, of where Christ died, where, where Christ's flesh was torn and broken. That's, like, that's incredible to me. And, and to understand that as, as we worship the obedience in that was present there in Christ. Like for, for me, it's easy to obey things when it's easy to obey. But sometimes it's hard to be obedient. And think of like the greatness of Jesus in the face of this excruciatingly painful moment for him. He was obedient. And, and what, what greatness has to be present in someone to be, to be that connected to this desire to be obedient. Like, and even that, that word, like, obedient. When we're sitting in a church, and, and I, I realize that there's a lot of us here that are in this church because other churches have kind of forced obedience upon us. Like, that's kind of what draws us to this place, is that we're, we're drawn not to obedience for the sake of, of gaining something from Christ, but instead we're drawn to obedience because of, of who he is. And, and the, the obedience of, of Jesus was so profound that he would be willing to, to sacrifice all that he is and all that he was and, and perfect communion with the Father to come here to be ridiculed and scorned and mocked and broken and, and abandoned for our sake. The, so the obedience that's there has to like just jump off. Like these are just bowls and plates, but it, it contains an opportunity for us to see this incredible obedience of the Father. 
and this incredible obedience of, of the Son to the Father, I'm sorry, and, and it just explodes into our hearts. And, and as we, we take of the bread and dip it into those bowls, I, I want us to, to see the incredible obedience of the Father. And then the, the, the practical thing in the midst of this is that the likelihood is there's something happening in you that's really easy to obey. And that's not that big a deal to you. But there may be something that's really, really hard and hurts and brings pain and people don't understand that God is calling you to be obedient in some way. But communion and the story of Jesus is exploding with the greatness of who Jesus is that brings us to a place that we might worship him because he showed us how to be obedient in, in the face of hard, hard things. And as we endure hard, difficult things, we can, we can see the beauty of Christ. As we see difficult stuff happen to us, communion speaks to us. That even though life is hard and things are hard and this is not what I would choose. The story of Christ on the cross and communing with him, interchanging with depth of intimacy and, and intensity, interchanging with Christ in that moment. It's do, like communion is a supernatural thing. And Christ intends for it to be supernatural. He left it to us as a gift so that we might connect with the beauty of all that he is. Um, The second thing that I want to say about worship as we partake of communion, as we engage communion, uh, it, it personifies the character of sacrifice. It personifies his character of sacrifice. Think about communion. Um... And it's, it's exclaiming this, this thing, you are more important than me. As you take communion, you can hear Jesus speaking to you. You are more important than me. And, and man, our, our world desperately needs to hear this. That you, what would happen in our, our political climate? What would happen in our cultural climate? What would happen in our church? What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in our own hearts? What would happen in every relationship that's ever existed? If we treated everything the way Christ treated when he said, you are more important than me. Like consider the depth of that. And communion's role is to inject that into you. As we partake of communion, we're exclaiming to ourselves, you are more important than me. This is so countercultural. I'm going to do something that hurts me deeply. And the reason is that I love you and you're more important than me. It's so completely counterculture. But, but more than just like, this is the thing that I think we, we connect with well, the physical pain of the cross. When we take communion, we consider the physical pain of the cross. But there's, 
way more than that. Do we, here's, here's the fact, and I've said this many times, but before Christ came to this earth, for all eternity past, he had perfect abiding relationship with God the Father. And when he came to this earth, he had perfect abiding relationship with God the Father. There had never been a moment in all eternity past where Christ did not have perfect abiding relationship with God the Father until the cross. When he takes my sin and your sin upon himself. And when we take of communion, that's what we're partaking in. And, and we commune with the interchange of that intensity. It personifies the sacrifice of Christ when we engage communion. And then the third thing, it connects us with his awesome provision for our sin. Your sin is greater than you realize. Even a simple little subtle sin that doesn't make a lot of difference, it's greater than you realize. Um, Cooper, fire that, that image up there. I, wanna, I know there's some visual learners in here, and I want you to see this. Um, see this broken glass where a rock or something hit the center of this piece of glass and splintered everything out. Um, you see the, there's kind of on the inside a, a, a circular wrap close to the, like really close to where it's hit, but then a little bit further out, a few inches out, is uh, another uh, web there, but it splinters out everywhere. I want you to consider, I want you to just look at that and consider your sin. Your sin is, is the, the impact part the impact point. But see how it's, it's splintered everywhere. See how it's, the circles are, there's one really close and there's one a little bit further outside and, and just splintering everywhere. This is your sin. This is a, this is a picture of your sin. Like we feel and we sense when we sin against people, like the impact there. But we're never going to see the full and complete impact to, to the the depths to which it reaches, the, the widths to which our sin reaches. And, and, and as we just see that picture, I want you to see and understand how much your sin does affect you, how much your sin affects the people in this room, how much your sin affects the people that you live with, how much your sin affects the world. But, but more than that, I want you to see how much your sin affected Christ. As we take communion and, and we, we consider this image and, and, and we literally eat the bread, consider the depth of your sin and, and the, beautiful, the beautiful part about all of this. Do you know there's a phrase in scripture that appears four different times written by three different authors. Authors. And it all says your sin has been put away. Consider that image and consider that fact. Four different times by three different authors in the New Testament, your sin has been put away by what we're about to engage with. Let's, let's say that together. Can we? My sin has been put away. Let's say that together. My sin has been put away. I feel like we need to do that again because you aren't ready. Let's do it again. My sin has been put away. Let that just sit on you. Your sin has been put away. All of the effects of it have been put away. 
It's astounding. Is it not? Does it inspire your heart to worship? It does me. A couple of more things to, to talk to you about. Um, when we take communion, we remember. Verses 24 and 25, 1 Corinthians 11 that Brooklyn just read. Uh, and when he had given thanks, this is Jesus in the upper room, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Like this is, this is familiar passage. This is my body, which is for you. Do you hear what Jesus just said to you? This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Reflect, remember. Everything that I've said today and will say the rest of the day is about the moment when you stand on front of these tables. And remember. Verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new cup of my covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember. Um, by the way, several visitors here this morning, uh, we've, we do communion every week here. Um, but for the very first time in our 10 plus years in existence, there's wine here. We've done juice before. Where's wine here today? Some of you are really excited. Some of you are kind of worried. Um, I've taken communion with actual wine a few times in my life, and every time, um, I don't like red wine, um, but it's really bitter, and it speaks an incredible message when you have that bitterness in your mouth, that the bitterness of your sin. So that's why we're doing it today. We might do it for the rest of the time. I don't know. We'll see. Come next week. You'll find out. But there's also, for those that are opposed to that, that's fine. I don't want to argue with you today. Maybe tomorrow. But there's juice up here as well. Um, but I want us to remember and I want us to really commune. And I want us to really connect with the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want that bitterness to explode in your mouth. I want it to explode in your mouth because it is Jesus communing, interchanging with you. There's also a danger to familiarity with communion. We take communion here every week and there's a danger to that um, because it can get habitual for us. Verse 27 warns us, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. I want to speak really um, specifically here about this verse um, because I've heard this verse misquoted and misapplied many times. If you have sin in your life, you can't take communion. That's what I've heard this verse preached as. And that is the absolute heresy. That's the whole stinking point. If you have sin in your life, you're most welcome. The connection we need to have here is understanding that my sin caused the death of Christ. And he willingly gave himself. And I partake of communion in a worthy manner is repentant of my sin, understanding who I am and what I did. That's the manner that's worthy. Not what you did this morning or what you thought 30 seconds ago. 
Verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's really scary. You can eat or drink judgment on yourself if you do this in in an unworthy manner. Then verse 30 talks about, like sometimes stuff in the Bible really scares me because like, oh my gosh, verse 30 is one of those things. That's why some of you are weak and ill and some have died. Like taking communion inappropriately, some, of, some people die because of it. That freaks me out, and I hope it freaks you out. Last thing for us to talk about this morning when we take communion, we proclaim. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim is a really cool word I found this week. It's a compound word that is uh, two pieces. One, the, the first one is, is to come down, to engage with, all right? So to come down, to engage with. Think of um, you guys all walk down those stairs to get down here this morning. That, that's, the, that's the idea. Everybody, Megan, you're my friend. I love you. But look at Megan walking down the stairs right now. <laughs> hey, Megan. It's a nice little uh, princess wave you gave us there, too. She's coming down into this room, all right? That, I hope I didn't embarrass you too much, Megan, but like that was perfect because it, it illustrates the point of this word incredibly. This is something coming down to engage with us. We all came down those stairs to engage with whatever this room had for us. And this, the second half of the word is the same word that means angel. It's a messenger. It's a it's a message from the Lord. So we have entered into the place where we can hear from the Lord. That's what this word proclaim means. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you enter into the proclamation of the Lord. God has something to say to you. Consider that. God has something to say to you. The greatest tool that I could ever give to you is the opportunity and ability to preach to yourself. And there's no greater opportunity to do that than when we partake of communion. It is beautiful. When you proclaim, when you partake of communion, you proclaim your sin. We stand in front of this table saying to everyone, I am filled with sin. And I need your help to take it from me. You also proclaim God's ample provision. This is what you're you're preaching to yourself. That I'm filled with sin and Jesus has provided for that sin. And then lastly, finally, you're proclaiming God's love. What's literally happening, supernaturally literally happening in your spirit is God is pressing the anguish and the hope of the cross into your soul. That's beautiful. God literally pressing the anguish and the hope of the cross into your soul. 
Let's do it together. Let me pray. And then partake of communion together. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus. Thank you so much for the gift of communion. God, I pray for us now as we we interact with you. God, would you allow us moments to reflect your majesty, moments to worship you, moments to worship your son Jesus, moments to consider our own sin. Father, I pray you would bring a very specific sin, a very specific moment of of time where we engage with a sin that always trips us up, Father. Would you bring that into our minds and then would you allow the bitterness of of the wine to, to eradicate that. God, may we proclaim to ourselves that you have put our sin away. May we proclaim to people around us that you have put our sin away. God, would you supernaturally interact, engage with us as we partake of communion, Lord. I thank you so much for Jesus. Guide us in this time as we respond in Christ's perfect and heavenly name. Amen.